This is new. I'll take a Diet Coke, <laughs> burger and fries. I don't know if I, I, I got to get used to this. It's kind of weird. Welcome to JFC. We uh, welcome all of our campuses, uh, Highlands Ranch, Lakewood, and Castle Rock. We're glad that you're a part of this, and welcome to all of you and those online. We're going to uh, jump into this right away. This is the last Sunday of our message on marriage, and uh, we're, we're excited about some of the results, and I was talking to some singles today, and they were saying it's been a great message, and God was speaking to them, and that was our hope that we could speak to everybody's heart, and that is my hope today, too. Now, it's been a crazy two weeks, crazy, okay? So I hope I'm not crazy, all right? I'm just hoping I'm not crazy, but um, you might think so after I tell you. Uh, I don't dream, uh, or at least I don't remember my dreams often, okay? So uh, last night I had this uh, crazy dream, all right? And uh, so uh, let me tell you about this dream. It's, this is true. I'm not exaggerating. It's a crazy dream. I'm dreaming that I'm speaking at a pastor's conference, okay? And I see pastors that I know, all right? Pastor John, uh, our guy's here, uh, a friend of mine, Greg Surratt, all these pastors, and they were kind of set up in stadium seating, and it was kind of a messy room, and I was speaking to them, all right? Now you knew it was a dream for sure, all right? Let's start right there. And so, but here's the scary part. It was more like a nightmare because I, the thing I was talking was just wacky. It was crazy, and I, I, would, I would spill water, and I'd have some notes on one thing, and then I'd go over to a music stand, and some of my notes would be there, and it was just insane. I was clueless. I was rambling. It was going on and on, and I saw people just sitting there going like, oh my goodness. I mean, people that love me, people that care for me, but here's the good part, okay? For my illustration, and I don't know what this means, but I brought out a pigeon wrapped in newspaper, What? What? I don't get it. Okay? And then I woke up. And I'm hearing this song, Word of God Speak. How many know that chorus? I couldn't go back to bed then. So I went down and I just said, God, that was really something I know and I've had about three or four of my life, God dreams. And I know that was a God dream. And I'm asking God, what in the world was that about? So I redid my message. <laughs> Not really. I, your, your notes will be good. Hang on to them, okay? But I was thinking about, you know, what was, what was God trying to say, okay? Uh, is there a, something to do with pigeons? I don't know. I, is there a sacrifice today that we got? I don't know. But here's what God was saying to me after that dream and after being awoken, is that when we talk today, and we look at the Bible and that the Word of God will speak, we're going to learn from His truth and what it applies to our life. In that, in the beginning, looking at the first couple, looking at, and I'll share a little of my story, some of it you already know, I'm going to talk to you about your story. You fill in the name. You put your name in the blank here, all right? But I want to say, this isn't about us. It's not about Adam and Eve. It's not about uh, the authors of the New Testament talking about husbands and wives. It's not about me. It's not about you, okay? We're a part of the story, but the story is about what God is doing in lives. The plot line talks about uh, disobedience and sin, all right? That's the anti-evil part of this whole story. But throughout this day, you're going to hear the story of redemption. And what that means is if you're here today... And I believe weeks ago when I started praying about this message, actually as a teaching team when we started talking about the idea of the title, is that there are people at some place in their marriage struggling. 
All right, someplace in your marriage that some of you are doing good, someplace that some of you are just, God has breathed life into that and you're just honoring him. So for each of those, I'd like to talk. Word of God, speak. Comes from the idea of the fruit of two trees, all right? And in two life-changing encounters in my life, and I've shared about one uh, in our 17th year of marriage where it was a horrible fight and we'd had ups and downs for 17 years. God knows it's a miracle that we stayed together because there were times where we hated each other. There were times we were plotting each other's death, almost. There were times where, truthfully, we were saying, God, take her. God, take him. It's okay. Heaven's better than this hell on earth. And we were feeling so worn out so beat up. And it didn't start out that way. We started out in love. We started out with this dream of our life. God actually gave us a dream one day on the side of a lake where we talked about what our life should be like, but it wasn't happening. So we're very disappointed with that. But so that was cool because in that moment of time at the 17th year, the Lord spoke to me, word of God speak, said to me from the verse I've got at the end of your notes, Ephesians 5. And simply one part of it spoke, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I knew enough about Jesus to know that that was a pretty amazing love and that I didn't have that. But in that moment, I felt so hopeless because I wanted to love my wife, but I just couldn't do it. And God changed my heart. And from then on, I could love her differently. And we've had a great run. We've had a good marriage. It's been good. We've had a few blowouts, all right, and things where we get really mad, but we know we're in this. We're working at it. We're staying together. We're going to have a good marriage. We're fighting for that. And then last August, something really pretty amazing happened to me, okay? And this is really what is so cool in that that first encounter at 17 years the Lord used the word in Ephesians 5 to speak to me. After we did the series last August, all right, it was August 4th. I went, or actually August 3rd, that day I came home, and I was thinking about some things that John had preached about, things about his wife being his best friend. And I loved my wife, but honestly, I didn't feel she was my best friend. She was my wife friend. Does that make sense? All right? And so when I would choose things, I would choose friends over my wife friend. And and I would leave in her heart this kind of uh, question. And so what happened is uh, I got down on the carpet face down and I just started saying, God, there's more. There's something more. We've got a good marriage, but I'm hearing of what Pastor John's teaching and I feel like it could be something more and something better. And here's what I realized. This was about three days ago. I realized that the word of God was speaking to me then. It wasn't a verse, it was the Word of God as a whole. It was the idea of what love represented and the things that I needed to do in honoring my wife. And I wrote a list. There was about five things, and I emailed it to her. And when she came back, we started being obedient to God. That was the most amazing change in my life. We have had the best year ever in our marriage, the best year There has been this great sense of purpose and destiny and love and and friendship and kindness and and just la-la land stuff. You know, like when you first fall in love with somebody, you know, and you're just all goo-goo about them. And and I thought, man, we've been married now 39 years. You don't get goo-goo anymore. 
you know, you get goop goop, but not goo goo. And so I'm like, okay, wow. I would wake up in the morning just thinking about her, praying for her, just loving her. And all through the day, and she would be reciprocating that. And day after day, week after week, month after month, it's been going on. Then we had a blowout on our way to church, <laughs> on our way to Castle Rock. All right. I'm not inferring anything. Just <laughs> Castle Rock, I love you. Dan is, but I'm not. Anyway, I don't know. Here's what happened. Here's the truth, okay? We were both very tired, okay? Uh, physically, things were just stretching us. Emotionally, stress, all sorts of things. Here's what we did. We got away from what God had done and began to try to manage our life on our own and started getting away from that. And, and so we kind of wrestled with that for a few days, trying to figure out what is God saying? What does God want to do? Because I didn't want to lose that good thing. Actually, I didn't want to lose that God thing. And it was amazing. And so the Lord began to work through that. Now, okay, I know that there are, there's, are those here saying, oh, you can't live the rest of your life that way. I disagree. Why not? Why not? Why not if God has given us an amazing love and it works through us, why not affect the people that we love the most on this earth? Why not? Because the only thing holding me back from being that kind of husband to my wife is my own sin and selfishness, period, period. And when I go there, we have problems. So that's kind of the focus we're going to talk about today. I'm going to get into a little about the Word of God, how it speaks to us, and then I want to take that and really ask some very challenging questions to you, all right? But listen, even in marriage, uh, here's what I want to say. As I'm reading Scripture, we're always applying it to this spiritual life. But we never apply it to our married life or our relational or our family life, do we? We're always looking at that from a spiritual standpoint. We're always love one another, okay? God command, love one another. And we're always thinking about everybody else, right? How come we don't apply that to our wife and our children and our friends? Love one another. So, Apply this word to you as a marriage. Some of it's directly related to that. So let's do just a little bit of a word study. Concile is from a Latin word meaning to bring together. All right. The word re is an action done over, often with the implication that the outcome of the original action was in some way impermanent or inadequate, or that the performance of the new action brings back an earlier state of fair. So reconcile means basically to go back and do better bringing it all together than happened before. So reconcile, in a spiritual sense, what was taken in sin, original destruction of our relationship with God. God goes back and does it new, all right, in what was wrong in the beginning. Now, obviously, when we deal with marriage, we talk about this term, irreconcilable differences, all right? It's a great title for this message, but that word, I know I'm going to mess it up at some point today, so I'm going to just say it one more time, all right? The idea is irreconcilable. We drew a line through the IR, because the idea is that we want to reconcile our differences, and when people have problems and they move away from each other in their marriage, they file in a divorce paper these words or this statement that's a legal statement that says irreconcilable differences. And the word is there, the existence of significant differences between a married couple that are so great and beyond resolution as to make the marriage unworkable. A lot of you experienced that. A lot of you have maybe filed that. So I want to change what marriage is about. 
in the first marriage conciliation where God formed the first togetherness, all right, here's some cool stuff. It was a perfect paradise, all right? I just imagine in my mind what that looked like, all right? We read the account in Genesis. It's amazing, but it's a perfect paradise. God, Scripture teaches us, placed, created the man and the woman. Now, people think, if only my situation was different. If, if, Terry, if I had, if I was a pastor like you, maybe God would work in my marriage because pastors get more dispensation of God. And everybody said amen, right? Pastors, isn't that true? Don't we have sometimes people think like, like we walk on water, we pray all day, we got the life, okay? Amen. All right? We got it good, all right? It's a hard job. It's a hard job loving, carrying a lot of the burdens that come into our lives. And every week we're dealing with heartache and mess, okay? Uh, I, I wish we could walk on water, okay? I'd like to even just visit the pool, crying out loud. <laughs> Can't even get that far. All right, so here we are, all right, this great paradise, and we're thinking as people, if my situation was just different, if I had a better environment, if, if things were different, if my husband was different, if my wife was different, all right, but that doesn't make any difference. Paradise, God face to face, no evil, just enjoy. Sounds like a great idea, but too many couples are putting into this thing, if they would just change, I could change. Scratch that off now. On your notes, just say, forget it, okay? You need to be the one that God changes, and especially men, I'm going to speak to you. You need to be the one that God changes. Now, let's look at the Genesis account, all right? It's not on your notes because we couldn't get it all there, but it'll be on the screens or I'll read it. So, Genesis, here's just the quick account. So, God created human beings in his own image. It's important to note that. In the image of God, he created them, made, or male and female, he created them. Then we move into Genesis 2, 15 through 18. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. He had a purpose. All right, God gave him. He wasn't just sitting around, you know, um, hanging out. You know, he was actually giving a responsibility. And we all know men like to be doing something. But the Lord God warned him. Okay, it was to him that the warning was given. You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree in the, of knowledge of good and evil. You, if you eat its fruit, you will surely die. Then, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, for I will make a helper who is just right for him. That's the New Living Translation. So there's Adam, great environment, great purpose, and God says, here it is, one morning, all right? Don't eat of the tree of the good, uh, knowledge of good and evil. You have the tree of life. Enjoy that, all right? And so then he sees that Adam, all right, is just alone, okay? So Genesis 2, we pick it up a few verses later. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening, all right? That's just so cool. That's just so cool, you know? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Okay. Zip. You're good to go, Adam. All right. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of his ribs and closed the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. All right. And he brought her to the man. I love this uh, paraphrase or this version of this translation. It says, at last, the man exclaimed. I can just hear Etta James singing now, at last. You know what I mean? I can just see Adam say, whew, at last, at last. It's, it's my turn now. Seeing all the animals, they're all paired up now. It's my turn. And look at this creation that God made. Can you imagine God? He gives us the best. And I can, I can just picture Adam in that moment just, just, just getting pretty excited. At last, relief. 
Now, here's what I want you to catch in those verses. First of all, God had a design. He had a plan. But they were different. Different in how he created male and female. Different in their roles. Men, very simple. God gave through here in other scriptures this understanding that you're to lead and to love. How often is it that the enemy moves us in our culture today away from the two very primary responsibilities that we have as husbands? That is to lead and to love. We invest in so many other things. We want to build a business. We want to start a career. We want to have a great sports game. We want to do everything. But when it comes to our relationship and our marriage, we are to lead and to love. Now, women, all right, you have been sold a line in our culture about this word submit. It is a line from the pit of hell. All right, let me show you why. Your, your biblical mandate was to help and to submit. Now, I know that culturally we get this idea of help as somebody that comes in and, 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 and does something, you know, menial in their task or something. And submit is that, that some overbearing man is pointing his finger down at you, making you feel like trash. That's not what that means. All right, let me give you an example, okay? All of us guys here on staff, okay, we are here to help Pastor John. That's our role, okay? We have different responsibilities, campus pastors, executive pastor, uh, associate pastor, all of our guys here, all of our staff, we're here to help Pastor John, all right? I don't feel, and I know none of these guys feel that that's a demeaning role. As a matter of fact, I love the fact that God has called me into a helping role. I pastored for nine years. Dan was with me. I hated it. I was a terrible pastor. <laughs> you can tell him. It's Okay. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Anyway, I, I, listen, I love people. There was so much of what I did that was good for a pastor, but there was a lot of things I didn't do good, all right? And I frustrated people. I frustrated myself, and it was nine years. Now, good things happened there. God did some neat things in our family, in our marriage, some neat things. But for me personally, I didn't like to be the guy out front. I like to be the helper. And so when I left there, the Lord just gave me a revelation. Actually, Pastor John and Greg Surratt, my friends, I called and said, hey, what do I do? I just don't want to pastor. I don't like it. They said, man, you are a great staff guy. Go help somebody. And all of a sudden, this burden lifted like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. I can do that. Let me go help somebody. And I went to Virginia and then uh, eventually here to work with John. I don't feel demeaned in what I do. I feel very fulfilled in that. I feel very excited. I get up in the morning excited that I can help the vision of JFC that God has given Pastor John. And I submit to his leadership joyfully. You know why? And all these guys can tell you, John loves us. As his staff, as our team, he loves us. He thinks of us. He cares for us. He looks out for us. He, uh, made, uh, he, got me, uh, he sent a text before the message today. And he just said the sweetest and the most encouraging things. All right? I don't have a problem submitting to that. We do have problems with submission and help. We do have problems with leading love. It's but when sin and disobedience gets in the way. So we get to the first marriage differences, okay? Understand this. Men and women were created by God to be equal. Their roles were different, but they were equal before God. Here's the truth, important truth. They share in God's imprint. Go back to Genesis there. They share in His image. They share in His honor. They share in His heir. Okay, but we are different. How many would say men and women are different physically? Guys, good chance to say amen. Okay, we're different. There's just different things. 
Come back to our culture. We're trying to make everybody look and be and act and all the same. There's just some insidiousness to that plan. I'm okay with being a man. My wife is okay being a woman. We're okay being physically different. How many know that men and women are emotionally different? Yep. Women, it's your chance to say amen. He just doesn't get me. No, we don't. I'm sorry, we don't. We want to, we try, but we don't because God made you miraculously, wonderfully different emotionally. And when a man understands that and partners with that, it is the greatest thing for a marriage. Men and women are different mentally. Men and women have different callings given by God. But the reality is, is all that great plan of God, the differences that were okay at that time changed in Genesis chapter 3. And that's where we came into the serpent and the temptation. Adam and Eve had a choice. All right. If you look at the New Testament, when they're referring to Adam, they're not pointing a finger at Eve. And I know we get this thing of, you know, Adam said, well, it was the woman you gave me. Okay. A load of baloney. And here's why. God held Adam accountable. He gave Adam that command. The scripture that I read, Adam was right there during the temptation. He didn't stand up. Okay. I don't understand all that, but it didn't happen that way. So when we look at the New Testament scriptures that relate to Adam, it said that Adam sinned, not Eve. So did he lead? No. So we look at then their choices. Life, tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. When I was a kid, I used to, I, I, I used to not hear that whole phrase. I used to think it was a tree of good and evil. Sometimes we refer, but it's the knowledge of good and evil. Up till then, they had no knowledge of evil. They didn't even have to need to know anything about good because there wasn't a contrast. All they knew was life. So we've got a problem with sin and disobedience. So how do we reconcile that differences? Okay. The consequences of sin and their disobedience led to this. Men who don't lead, men who rule. You understand that? Are you getting that? When my wife married me at 18, okay, and my sinful nature and my selfish nature, she had to endure a young man who was clueless about God's way of marriage, okay? Now, we didn't get counseling then. We do a lot of counseling now. We do. But, but I've married a lot of people, Dan, DJ, uh, Evan, all you guys here, Bob, you've all married probably some people. And everyone that I marry, they're so in love, they listen to you, but they don't get it. And I'm not saying anything. If you're newly married, we've, we've just, we're doing weddings left and right. I didn't get it. I just, I, you could tell me all the good truth about God, and I would have nod and said, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? When we do a wedding, here's the reality, all right? We do the wedding. We say the wedding vow stuff, okay? And, and it really relates to Scripture. <clears throat> but you know what's going on? Everybody's waiting to get to the party and the honeymoon. Hurry this up, preacher. Come on, get this done, Okay? And when marriage counseling, it's the same way. Just get this through. We, we already know this stuff. <clears throat> I knew scripture, but I didn't know this stuff. So my wife married a guy that was going to rule her. It was evident in our honeymoon. I've shared the story. I'm embarrassed. It's sad, but it's true about my friends who stuck uh, stuff from a garbage dumpster in, in my shoes. Okay, They were the cool kind of 70s patent leather platform kind of shoes that guys used to wear, you know, staying alive kind of, you know, John Travolta. Me and John, we were that, you know. And I had a pair of white and a pair of black. I was covered. I was good to go. Okay? And so these shoes were in my car and all this uh, dead chicken stuff and dead fish and all sorts of nasty green stuff was in there. 
And it was a nightmare. We get to the hotel. I've said the story, but maybe you haven't heard it. And my first thought was, honey, when are you going to clean my shoes? And she looked at me like, well, they're your shoes. And the, the famous statement of all times, well, why do you think I married you? Yeah. It's true, isn't it? That is not a lie. I'm not, preachers exaggerate, that is not an exaggeration. I remember clearly the look that she gave me when she said that. It was like, you are the most stupidest person I've ever met in my life if you think I'm going to clean your shoes. So we compromised. She cleaned a pair and I cleaned a pair. (laughs) You know why she cleaned a pair? Because I was ruling her. I was mean. I was intimidating. Man, I would love... I love to rewind and go back and be a God man there, a godly man there. So instead of lead, instead of love, I tend to rule, I tend to lust, and lust is selfish love. It's a, the concept there, listen, oh man, I'd love to get into this, but I don't have time. The idea there is power, not love. If you're a woman here today and you're married to a man who wants to rule over you, you have a Difficult time submitting to that. Jesus still challenges you to do that. But it's so hard because he's just trying to dominate. And the, and the stuff in you just doesn't want somebody to just take advantage of you that way. Women. So the consequences uh, of that sin is that women want to control instead of help. Helping such a great thing. I'll admit it. God said it. The scripture said it. We needed help. The male species, God realized, these guys, they're good. I made them, but they need help. Let me get a woman into the scene here. She'll help. She'll get this thing working right. And I'm so happy to say that today, the partnership that Brent and I have is so different that we help one another. That when I lead, I think of her. I think of her needs. I think of love. What does this decision mean to her? And she gladly comes and submits to that because she knows I love her. And so the idea of not self, but serve. So those things got out of balance. So let me, let me get to this focus here, okay? The idea of three places of a marriage. Now, I, I know I'm taking a stretch here, but, but, but go with me. Evil marriages, good marriages... Or God marriages. And that's life. Okay? Is it possible, I'm just saying, is it possible that in my early days of marriage, because of my selfishness and ruling nature, the reason we had so many problems is because it was really evil. Now, when I say evil, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, 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 kind of movie evil where, you know, things are coming out of the wall and, you know, none of that. I'm just saying, just, just mean evil. Just evil stuff. Okay? Just selfish stuff. Just, just throwing hammers at each other stuff. That didn't happen to us. Okay, it did happen. <laughs> Evil. Just when it would just come out and we would just do awful things to one another. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Don't raise your hand. Okay? And so for 17 years, we experienced days of evil marriage and days of good marriage. And why we hung on, I don't know. But it was the grace of God and we hung in there and, and, and we, we had these times of evil, and we hated life, and we hated each other, and we didn't know how we'd get through, and we every now and then get this glimpse of good, and we could handle that, and then at that 17-year mark, God changed it, and all of a sudden, the evil, the selfishness, because of uh, 
learning how to love like Christ loved began to change. And we had a lot of good and a few moments of evil when that selfishness would kick in. And so last August, this miracle in our life happened where God showed us life. I have people come to me, well, I want that to happen to me. Okay? Then why not? Why, why won't that happen? I, 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 I've talked to a lot of guys since then. Well, hey, I want, I want God to do something in me. All right, understand that time frame is many, many years, but, but do we have to come to the place, men, where God knows we're serious? Where God knows that we're really ready to obey? Because that day, my face in the carpet, I laid it all out. I said, God, I'm hearing of great marriage from Pastor John and from some of the reading and studying I'm doing. I want that kind of marriage. I want a God kind of marriage. I want life. Just that crazy life marriage. Is it possible? I think it is. You and God have to get face-to-face, men, and figure that out. Colossians 128, or 120, excuse me. Listen to this. Now, this is applied to us in salvation, but it's still applied to us. Think of this in marriage. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Everything. Can that everything include marriage? All right, I'm going back to my dream. Everybody's not listening. They're young. No, I'm kidding Everything can be reconciled to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So, all right, let me get this. You're saying or thinking, all right, that applies to salvation and spiritual life, but that doesn't apply to marriage. But it does. Everything. Everything. God reconciled everything. He wanted your marriage to be a reflection of, of his reconciliation with us from what it was to what it can be. Romans kind of covers that too. It's not in your notes. Romans 5.10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Please don't take this coming to me as judgmental. I'm not. I've lived this life, so I'm, I'm the example of this in a very uh, sad way, but I praise God for the change he's done. Do you feel like your marriage has a lot more of the evil, the selfishness, the meanness in it? Do you feel that, man, I, we've got a good marriage? I, I, I'm doing good there. Or, or would you say, you know, is there something about your marriage that is God infused? Is there a mission and a purpose? What happened last fall is we began to think about our marriage in God's terms. And all of a sudden, I've never had this. We've been married through the We had a vision for our marriage. It was scripture. I was praying one day, and the Lord brought to us a passage out of Romans 15, 13. Here's the uh, quick synopsis of it. It talks about joy and peace overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. That became our verse. I've heard of people having a, their own verse, but for me and Brenda, we had our verse. So we wanted that verse to represent the reconciliation of God in our marriage. We wanted joy and peace. We were living it. We were experiencing it. We wanted to overflow <coughs> with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that, we began to change everything that we did in our marriage. Okay? We wanted that to reflect. So through the Holy Spirit working in us, we found this amazing sense of joy. We had more fun. We had crazy love. We had peace like we've never had in our marriage. And so our desire was that our vision would, that would overflow into other lives. Starting with our children and our grandchildren. Hopefully our friends, hopefully people we meet. 
We wanted the Holy Spirit and the hope of God to overflow into other lives. So we even came up with a goal, okay? And some of you that are our friends, I've already shared this with you, some of the, our staff guys. We have, we have three things, okay? It's, it's simple. We want to be happy. Now, I've, I've, read, read, I've, I've read books on marriage that well, the goal shouldn't be happy, okay? I, I disagree. God made you married so you could be mad and sad? Come on. Why shouldn't, if it's working the way God wants it, shouldn't it be happy? Does that mean we're not tested? Does that mean we have uh, things that we have to address and deal with? No, but we are happy, all right? We are also whole. Here's the neat part. You talk about the leading and loving. You talk about the helping and serving, all right, or submitting, and you put those together, and all of a sudden, we're having more fun being married than we've ever had before. We're, we're working together as a team like we've never worked before. And it is unbelievable how cool that is. Unbelievable. And the last was holy. I want our marriage to be holy. I want it to be a reflection of God. Holy, all right, means set apart. But the, but the words that they use for holy represent majesty or, or uh, uh, magnificent, okay? Like it was so holy that it was just so amazingly big and magnificent that it was just beyond us. What's wrong with having that as a vision for your marriage? I want us to be set apart. All right? So let me come back to this passage, and I'm going to wrap it up. Ephesians. Listen very carefully with the context that I've tried to share. All right. In Ephesians chapter 5. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ... So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. The partnership, you see it there? For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. All right, understand this. He finishes with this. This is a great mystery. There's a lot here that we don't understand. But the rest of the verse says this. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man, he reminds us, love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see, when it comes down to it, evil marriage is about me. What I want. You clean my shoes. You do this. You do that. It's about me. Good marriage is about us. It's okay. It's good. You work together. But a God marriage is about him. So where are you today? If you're married, where are you? Where's your marriage? I want to finish with this. You're here today and you're thinking, man, we've been listening to the marriage series. I'd like a God marriage. I'd like... But here's the deal. How many remember men? I want you to respond to this. At all of our campuses, wherever you guys are, men, I want you to respond, Okay. How many of you men remember that courtship 
that phase before you got married, the feelings you had for your wife. How many of you remember that? How many would say it's a pretty cool time? You're just in love with that woman, right? Okay. Jesus, from this passage, we see, sees the church as his bride, okay? There's that engagement period that we are in as the church in Christ now, okay? All right? So, if you rekindle that in your heart, that understanding of loving your wife that way, looking at her that way, beginning to understand her that way, from this passage, there's something in you that will begin to change as you look at your wife. What will change first is that men, the headship is not about uh, privilege, but responsibility. So the things that you're not the things that you're selfishly looking at for your own benefit, you begin to change. Your wife sees something happening in you different. It begins to change something in her, all right? So when you look at your love relationship when you were getting married, all right, you're saying, I was looking at that wife and what she gave me. She made me feel good. So all of a sudden, you create this foundation that builds into that knowledge of evil and good. And then once you get to that place where she quits doing that and he quits doing that, you get in that place where, oh, the love is gone. What happened? All right? You don't have to ever go there. The reason is, is if you men will love as Christ loved, always look at your wife as that bride. Always see her in that light. All right? That's such an amazing place. I, I have trouble explaining this. I want to bring out a chicken wrapped in newspaper right now. I just, I don't know how to say that, how that works. But for me, I see my wife today as the bride that I married almost 40 years ago. I see her beauty. I see, though, so much more than I could see then. And I am so enamored with her. And I'm so excited to be dating her and to be her friend and to be helping her and serving her. I'm so excited about that. Women tells us that Christ and the church are one. There's a partnership there, but it has to come through helping and submitting. Think about what it was like when you were engaged. Wives, how many can remember when you were engaged? Okay? Think about getting ready for your wedding. You wanted to be the hottest, best-looking bride ever, right? Right? No bridezilla's here, right? You're all just amazing, okay? Boy, has it changed. Anyway, <laughs> okay, that's another sermon. Uh, all right, here's the reality, okay? All of our pastors will tell you, I always, I always love doing weddings. I always watch the groom when the bride comes in. Rarely do I not see a man tear up or go, wow. Rarely. The beauty of the bride, what you have to give us, all right? You, why did you look so good? Because you were wanting to present yourself to that groom. You were, you were in this place of submitting, of helping, of loving, and it just blew his socks off. I, I remember we were dating, Brent and I, I'm going to wrap this up. God gave us a real revelation this year, and again, this is that whole uh, happy, whole, and holy thing that's been working. Uh, Christmas, uh, I, I'm, uh, one of my languages is gifts. I love giving gifts, and I love surprising my wife and kids and all that with Christmas and all that. And Anyway, so I did a lot of giving, and we, we, we have this game we play this year and this funny thing, I won't go into that. But anyway, I was so excited about it. Okay, 
And so I gave these Christmas gifts. She was going down early because Heather was having her baby. So it was before Christmas. And we had, a, I think it was a Tuesday night. We, we did all that. And it was just, it was so fun. I couldn't wait to present because <clears throat> I love giving gifts. And then she kind of gave gifts. And she just said, I feel so disappointed. You did so good with these gifts. And I just love these gifts. And right then, as clear as I'm sitting here, God just gave me a picture that I saw in our first Valentine's. I said, Brenda, you know what I just realized? I give Christmas but you make Christmas. And we looked at each other and we're just like, wow, we've been doing this now for 39 years. So guess what happened our first Valentine's? Okay, Brenda uh, was raising a family. Her mom did all the cooking because there's like 400 of them, seven, right? Seven kids. And they didn't have a lot of money and they, they, they just, mom had to make it work. And so she didn't learn how to lot. So Brenda asked me, I'm away from home. Hey, let me make you Valentine dinner. She, she lived with her uh, roommate in this little tiny uh, basically brick uh, hut thing in Dallas, Texas. It was tiny. And so she was going to make me dinner. So what do you want? And, and, and I'm, I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy, meat, meat, you know, loaf and potatoes and all that kind of stuff. So I come in we, and, and she has all this laid out and it was the sweetest thing. I love this to this day. I love this. She'd never known how to cook. So she would cook one thing at one time and set it aside. It took her hours and she'd cook another thing and set it aside. And she, she made this, is the most beautiful carrot cake I've ever seen in my life. It was lopsided. It was the best carrot cake I've ever eaten in my life. It was made with love. And God was showing us right then, but we missed it. She made Valentine's. I brought all these gifts. She made, and I gave it. We began to learn what it was like of how our partnership, okay? So wives, when you show respect, you want to do things for them. You want to give of yourself. So is it possible to have a God marriage? I'm here today to say something pretty drastic or dramatic. Yes, but the truth is no. That's the pigeon <laughs> wrapped in newspaper. No, you can't give that. Sorry. Hate to disappoint you. But God can. I know it for a fact. I know it in the people that I see that have a God marriage filled with life that God can. So the question for you today is, what kind of marriage do you want? Do you want evil? Do you want evil and good? Or do you want God? If you want God, he will help you. But listen to me very carefully. The word of God speaks. When he speaks to your heart, you're going to have to obey. If you're not ready for that, be honest with yourself and say, God, I'm just not ready. I'll live with what I have. I'm just not ready. But if you're here and you're ready, I want to pray for you. Okay? Would you stand? Our worship team's coming. I want to pray. I don't do this from a church or churchiness. I do this with real heart for you today. And I would really like to know you're here today and in your marriage, you might, have, you might be dealing with a lot of evil stuff, selfishness. You might be here today and you have a good marriage, but something in your heart today, God spoke to you about, and you say, I think, man, if God got involved in our marriage in a great way, it could be amazing. But you're here and you'd say, Terry, I want a God marriage. Would you raise your hand? Okay. Father, it's not me. It's not my words. It's you. It's your Holy Spirit. It's what you decided to do with us today for everyone here who said by the raising of their hand, I want a God marriage. I pray for a miracle. 
I pray for obedience. I pray for dramatic change. I pray that as JFC, as Pastor John and his vision stated in many times, that we change in our marriage, in our family, in our circles of friends and work, in our community, in our city, in our nation. I pray we change. I pray that, God, you do something in this church that is supernatural, that you change marriages, that people will wonder what in the world is going on in that church. Those are the happiest married people I've ever seen. I want that. How did they get that? I also pray for anyone here, single, married, young, old, who is distant from God today, and you would pray today, Lord, I want to be reconciled with you. I receive your gift of Jesus. I receive the life you give me, and I accept that today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.